Hello, and welcome law firm owners to another episode of the Wildly Successful Law Firm Podcast. I'm your host, Nermeen Jasani, and on this podcast, I talk to law firm owners about financial clarity, productivity and efficiency, and client acquisition. On today's episode, listen, I know it's Thursday, and I usually release these episodes on Tuesdays, but it's been a crazy couple of weeks. I had a huge family emergency. My dad had a heart attack and had surgery, and we've just been, as a family, dealing with all of that and helping my dad and supporting my mom through through all of this that's happening. So if you haven't given your parents a hug in a very long time or told, or told them that you love them or that you care about them, please take a second, send a text message, send a phone call, go hug them because life is short and you have no idea when these things are going to happen. So that's my PSA for the beginning of today's podcast episode. Um, I want to go a little bit into my own business and kind of tell you a couple stories about what I've been dealing with and help you understand how this can help you fuel your own law firm. So over the last couple of weeks, I've been reading the um, book by Noah Kagan. Most of you probably don't know him, um, but basically he was an early employee at uh, Facebook. He got fired and probably would have been worth about half a billion dollars and made some silly mistakes, got fired, and now has his own business called AppSumo where he sells these lifetime deals on software products. So think like WordPress plugins, SEO stuff. It's really intended for agencies and not a whole lot is going to be there for law firm owners. But in any case, um, I've been reading his book called The Million Dollar Weekend and you know, in it, he talks a lot about how he is challenging himself in growing his own business and how he's making himself uncomfortable in his own business. And as I was reading this book, I just paused and was like, wow, I think I've gotten really comfortable in my business. This, by the way, is seven years. This year is going to mark year seven of being a business owner and of having wildly successful law firm, I truly can't believe that it's been seven years. If you are more than seven years into your law firm, please know, I know how hard it was to get there. I know what it took to get there because any business, it doesn't matter what it is, is tough. The first two years and then the first five years, and then you sort of get over this hump where things start to feel easier. And as much as I love things being easy, and I believe that they should be easy and fun. Number one, that is one of my business values. But I also believe that you want to make sure that while it's easy, you're not being complacent. And I will tell you that I got complacent when it came to leads and following up with leads and all of that. So number one, I have automations in place that follow up with leads. So please don't think that I'm not using my own advice, I am. But there's something that I notice, which is once my automations fall off, which is like they'll stop following up with people after three months or six months or whatever it might be, you know, there are some leads from the last couple of years, 2021, 2022, 2023, where I was like, God, I really wanted to work with this person. And it could be that they were so smart in their business, in their law practice, like very sharp when it came to practicing law. And I was like, I really want to work with them. 
And I, I, I know that they said, no, it wasn't a good time before, or it wasn't a good fit or whatever, but I think I want to follow up with them. So I made a list of people in my business who I really wanted to work with. And it had to meet certain criteria. So it had to be people who I knew could afford my services, who I knew were um, people that I wanted to work with, but maybe just the timing was off, right? Because sometimes maybe uh, some of my clients could be coming off of working with coaches and they're kind of like, I've already got a lot on my mind. I really can't work with someone else right now. Like I just finished a year of coaching or, you know, I just came out of such and such program and I need some space or I just brought on, you know, two new employees and I need some space before I can hire someone and and I really want to spend my time training my employees and I won't have the effort to or uh, the time to commit to um to working with you, Nermeen. And so I went back through and I made a list of those clients that I wanted to work with, like really wanted to work with. And I followed up with them quite vulnerably. And I'm pretty sure I use the word vulnerable in most of my emails. And um, I also made a second list of clients who I hadn't consulted with, but I knew who they were. And I've either seen them on LinkedIn or I've seen them in some other space. And I was like, wow, I really want to work with them. And I did something that I I would have only done in my first two years of owning my business and having this consulting practice, which is I reached back out and I said, wow, I really wanted to work with you. Is there any way that we can work together this year in 2024? And here's what we talked about last year on what we could do together. I don't know if these are still concerns that you have, but please know that I just thought you were so cool for being in this practice area. So, you know, um, I really love what you're doing in this field, or I really had a vision for where you guys could go with this. You know, is it possible to work together? And having one writing that email made me so uncomfortable. And I just kept thinking, God, am I sounding desperate? Is this desperate? Like, how would I receive this kind of an email? And maybe you're even thinking it too as you're listening to this, like, oh, I mean, that sounds so clingy, like an ex-girlfriend coming back to you or something like that. But I wanted to do it not just because there were people I wanted to work with that I didn't get a chance to work with, but because I wanted to make it uncomfortable for myself. You know, when you get into business, you you get so good at doing what you do. I'm so good at consulting and automating and figuring out pricing and figuring out marketing strategies that none of that scares me. There's no client situation where I'm like, oh, scratching my head, what are we going to do? You know, I have a system that I follow and everyone gets a unique, you know, strategy that works for them. But I got comfortable. And I knew I got comfortable and I was like, I want to make myself uncomfortable. And it, it felt weird sending those emails. There were, when I got the responses back in, there were some emails that I was scared to open and scared to read because I was like, oh, what if they said no? What if they just thought, think I'm being needy and desperate? And it was almost like I had to like guard myself up before opening these emails And I will tell you that the results that I got were so much better than I ever expected. And I'm going to share with you why. And this is the entire purpose of today's episode. 
Um, it's all about increasing your revenues as a law firm owner through positive client selection. Now I'm going to tell you what I mean by positive client selection, what it is, how you can actually use it as a law firm owner. And I will tell you that this, this is one of the traits of people and law firm owners and lawyers who have been doing this for so long that you're like, when you look at them and you're like, why do they have all these things and I don't? Why are they not complaining about their clients? Why Why is that? Why are things going so well for them? One of the things it comes down to is knowing how to select your clients and choosing the clients that you work with. And underpinning that is understanding that you have a choice in working with your clients, right? So um, to be completely ca- candid in this conversation, there are some responses that I got where people said, it's not a fit for us to work together. And I obviously felt butthurt about it and my ego was upset about it. But the thing I will tell you is that it's a hundred percent a blessing and I wish them all the best on who they do choose to work with. And it allows me to then realize that the clients that I do choose to work with and who choose to work with me, that is a very special relationship, right? So it allows me to focus my energy and my thoughts and my effort and my marketing efforts and my LinkedIn content and my YouTube content and this podcast content on the people who understand the importance of the client relationship and that it begins at the consult level. So now I'm going to talk to you about what is client, what is positive client selection and how you can use it in your practice. So you might be thinking at this point, okay, Nermeen, is positive client selection just woo-woo? Like this sounds like it's woo-woo. No, I want you to know that it's actually a strategic business choice. And the idea behind a positive a positive client selection is that you are working with clients who are a right fit for you, meaning you're going to look for the little things. Did they show up on time for your consult? Are they asking questions? Are they saying things like, well, my uncle settled his case for $500,000 and that's what I want. Are they asking things like, well, is this going to be done in six months? Because I expect to have my visa in six months. Or are they saying things like, okay, um, I don't want to spend more than X amount of time on this. I don't want to pay X amount of dollars. Those are going to be the clients who are not going to be your positive client selection, right? You want to really be aware of how they're showing up, what questions they are asking. And if you have an intake form that you wanted them to complete prior to the consult, this is something that I automate for a lot of my clients so that you can review their responses before the consult even happens. You want to see, did they even take the time to complete that form? And if they didn't, then is that How does that fare with the clients who do work with you and do complete the information versus the ones who don't complete the information and then end up working with you anyway? 
See, if they're not taking the time up front, and if you're not vetting them up front, you don't want to end up working with them through a 12-month cycle or through a big M&A deal or through something else because it is going to make you miserable for every dollar that you are earning. And for the best law firm owners that I work with, they understand the power of positive client selection and they understand that they don't need to work with every client who walks in the door. They understand that there's a difference from if we're thinking about a mountain and if we're thinking about how their law firm started. When they started their law firm, they were at the bottom. They were just starting to climb that mountain of growth and revenue acquisition and client acquisition. And as they started at the bottom, maybe they worked with everyone. But for every single step that they took up that mountain, every 10,000 feet that they climbed, they knew that there were less clients that they were going to be working with and that the no's were actually a good thing because it allowed them to continue to focus on the clients who were actually a positive fit for their firm and not the ones who were going to be just unnecessarily difficult. So all of this to say that when you are dealing with the no's that come in, what I don't want you to do is I don't want you to end up negotiating against yourself and offering a lower price point, right? So I see a lot of attorneys who do this where, you know, they'll get a no or they'll say, "Mm, you know what, now is not the right time or, well, I can't afford this price, but I can afford this price. And it's off by like $1,000. So let's say you normally charge $6,000 for a will and a trust for two people. And the client says, I can't do 6,000, but I can do five. And you're thinking to yourself, 5,000 is better than $0. Now, that is not going to be a positive client selection. Why? Because you don't walk into Starbucks saying, ah, you know what, I don't wanna pay $5 for a latte, how about 450? Starbucks would laugh at you and say, absolutely not, have a good day, let me get to the next 400 people in line behind you, right? And the thing is with a place like Starbucks, you can see the line behind you, But I know what you're thinking, which is when I'm in my law firm and I say no to this person, I don't see a line of people behind them. And that's okay if you don't see a line of people behind them. Please know that there are other people who are willing to work with you. It's just, it's not the same. People aren't gathering outside of your office to work with you, right? Especially if you are virtual. So what I want you to know is that when it when a client says no or negotiates against you or anything like that hold on to this idea of and this strategy of positive client selection you are also choosing the clients that you work with and if you are consistently getting clients who are like no i'm not going to pay this no i'm not going to do this no i won't give you my documents on time i'm going to be rude to your entire staff Whatever the situation is, I want you to know that 
when those situations happen and you say no to those clients, it ends up being better for your firm, not just in the short haul, but in the long haul. And there are things that you can look for before you even say yes to them as a client. And that includes showing up on time for a consult. Do they complete the intake form? Um, what questions are they asking? Do they have unreasonable expectations? This is why it's so important to standardize your consultation process because you want to make sure that you're asking questions that are not just what's the legal questions that need to be asked, but what are the business questions I need to ask as a law firm owner? And you want to make sure that there's a legal fit and you want to make sure there's a business fit. And if you don't have a standardized consult process where you're asking these questions line by line, then what's gonna happen is you're going to assess their legal needs. Yes, you can create a will for them. Yes, this works in your jurisdiction. Yes, you can do this M&A deal. All of that is great. But if you're not gonna assess their, their client fit for your practice, you're not gonna get to a place where you are you are using the strategy of positive client selection, right? It is incredibly important to do that. Now, the other thing that I want you to know is that when it comes to your clients and the ones who have said no, what you can do is follow back up if you felt like there was a strong, like, yes, you really want to help this person. This was an M&A deal that you really wanted to do. You saw something on LinkedIn. You saw an article with them in it. You had another consult that was similar to theirs and it made me think, it made you think of them. I think all those things are okay to go back and follow up. But what you want to do is you want to automate that process, right? So you want to have like a three month follow-up, I would say, with at least, you know, three to seven messages somewhere in there that you are sending to a client after a consult. And here's why these are really important stats for you to understand. So 50% of leads that are qualified, which means they can afford you, they're not crazy, they are um, normal, they don't have unreasonable expectations, they're kind, they showed up on time to the consult, they answered the intake, all those things are there all those boxes are checked. They're qualified, boxes are checked, but they're not ready to buy. So almost 50%, that means 50% of the consults who you are having consults with this year in 2024, 50% of them are qualified, but they're not ready to buy, okay? And then here's the next piece that you need to know about, about from this, which is 80% of sales. So the 50% of people, the 100% of people who are ready to buy, who are qualified as well, they need five follow-ups after the consult, right? 80% of sales require five follow-up calls after the meeting. This is why when I set up the automation process, so let's say this client is a great fit, you wanna work with them, wonderful you check off a box that says follow-up those follow-ups are over a period of three months with at least five to eight text messages going out to the client saying all sorts of different things to follow up after the consult one is 
a general thank you. Another is going to be how can we help support you in making this decision easier? Here are some Google reviews from other people. We've got 4.9 stars or five stars, whatever that is on Google. Um, and maybe their stories will relate to you and you can read those stories and see that we are in fact a good fit for you. You can also share information uh, that includes the countries of people that you've worked with, the size of deals that you've done. So, hey, we've done, you know, 30 deals over a million dollars in 2023 alone, or we settled, um, you know, 400 car accidents last year. And, you know, you can share all of these stats after the meeting. And even if you shared them before the meeting, even if you shared it during the meeting, it's still okay to share it after because it's just better to repeat information, right? Like it's sort of like learning two plus two equals four. You didn't learn that the first time that someone said two plus two equals four, right? It took you multiple times of you having to do, you know, worksheets of one plus one is two, two plus two is four, right? You had to do that multiple times in your life before you remembered. The same thing is true for people in a consult. They're not going to remember before because they're probably not paying that much attention. During a consult, they're trying to remember all the questions that you asked, all the questions they had. It's a very confusing space. And then after the consult is the third time where maybe then it's going to click, oh, wow, they've done work for people from, you know, Papua New Guinea, that's amazing. I'm from there. I had no idea that they had clients who were there. So you want to keep in mind that repeating this information is a-okay and you want to automate all of that because when it's a right client and they're a good fit for you, that's still not enough. You are still going to have to follow up and the best way to guarantee that you're going to follow up is going to be to automate it. I will tell you that most law firm owners, they always say, oh yeah, I'm going to follow up with so-and-so. And then weeks go by, they start putting out all these fires and they completely forget to follow up. Or the client says, you know what, I'll follow up with you in two weeks. And then the client forgets to follow up. So if you don't have an automation system set in there, you've now lost that lead. And remember, 80% of sales require five follow-ups after the meeting. So there might be 20% of people, right? a very small number of people who don't need that many follow-ups because either they know that they're not going to work with you or they know that they're not ready to buy or whatever that is, but there's still 80% who need that follow-up from you. So you want to make sure that start to finish, when the client finds out about you, when they book the consult, then they have the consult, you want to make sure that you are checking everything that they are the right client for you. Again, positive client selection. They're going to pay what you need to pay on the payment plan that you have, on the system that you have set up. And if not, then it's not a good fit. And I know some of you are already thinking, I mean, that means I have to get rid of like half of my clients. And that might be true right? It might be that you've been practicing what I know a lot of lawyers call door law, which is I will work with anyone who walks in the door. At some point, you're going to have to elevate yourself. 
you're going to have to realize you're no longer at the bottom of that mountain. You are now 10,000 feet up and there's a different view up there and it requires a different skill set to go from zero to a thousand, 10,000 to 20,000, right? So you've got to get in your own head that it's okay for you to say no. And my, I'm telling you, the best clients, the best lawyers, the best law firm owners that I've worked with, the best doctors I've worked with, understand that no is part of the process, right? And I'm sharing from my experience today that no was part of my process. And those who said no to me, I am so glad that they said no because it wouldn't have been a right fit. It's gotta be a two-way street. I've gotta check off all the boxes, they've gotta check off all the boxes. If the two things don't equal, then this is like a math equation from school, then it doesn't equal and it's not a good fit. So it's better for you to make sure that you've got these systems in place to allow you to evaluate if this client is the right fit for you and that the client then has an opportunity to evaluate you to see if you're a right fit for them. And if it's a right fit, great, keep working together. But if it's not, do not adjust your prices, lower your prices, uh, offer extended repayment plans. Don't sit down and say, okay, well, you can do this um, as cash and then you can do this as check because once you start kind of making exceptions for them, you're training that client to say, oh, you're gonna make exceptions for me and I'm gonna keep using my my power with you to ask for more exceptions. Like, hey, can you get my file reviewed um, by next week where maybe normally it takes 60 days before you review a file. So be really careful of those situations and I want you to keep those two stats in mind, right? Which is 50% of leads are qualified, but not yet ready to buy. So they're gonna come in and consult with you, but they're not ready to buy at the consult, which means you need to make sure that you've got an automated follow-up process to actually follow up with them. And you wanna make sure that you're only following up with the ones that you actually wanna work with right? So that positive client selection is there. And also keeping in mind that 80% of sales require five follow-up calls. So when you're going to follow up, you want to make sure that you're not just following up once. You don't want to just follow up twice, five times. Okay, my friends. All right. So I'm so glad I got to do this final episode for you guys for the month of February. I really wanted to make sure I got two really good, strong episodes in for you all. Again, if you have any questions, please reach out to me. I'm always available to answer questions for you. My email is nermeen at wearws.com. You can find everything in the show notes, which is different to access on each of the platforms. But generally, if you scroll up, you, sh- you should see all the show notes there. If you want to work together, I will drop that link there too. It's the Get Started with Nermeen. You answer a couple questions, and yes, if you answer those questions, that shows me whether or not you are a good fit to work with me because it's all part of my positive client selection strategy. And if that's what you want to bring into your law firm this year in 2024 because you know you are no longer practicing door law, reach out to me. 
Let's make that happen in 2024. That's everything for this episode. I will see you in a couple of weeks and go hug your parents. Go tell them you love them because life is shorter than you think, my friends. All right. Have a good one, y'all. See you next, next time.